You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, welcome back to the DNB Supply Show, everybody. Winter is coming. There is no stopping it now. Sprinklers are being blown out. Irrigation systems are drained. There's just no question winter is coming. And so our focus shifts to winter is obviously the last couple of weeks we've been talking about pellet stoves and wood-burning stoves. And this week is no exception. We have Dr. Brett Bauscher coming back on with us today to talk about our pets, our cats, our dogs, and other animals and what we need to do to keep them warm during the winter and kind of dispel some of the myths that are out there about how cold temperatures impact our dogs and our cats and what we can do to keep them warm, to keep them comfortable. And in particular, if we have older pets that uh, are getting on in years, what can we do for them and how does it impact them? And I think it's a really useful and informative episode, and I hope you enjoy the information we've got for you here today. But if you have pets, we know you love them, and we know you want to keep them as comfortable as possible, especially if we have as cold a winter as we did last year. So enjoy the episode and hope you get something great out of it. Joining me today is Dr. Brett Bauscher, and he is a consulting veterinarian for D&B Supply, and he can be found at the Canyon Small Animal Hospital in Caldwell, Idaho. Dr. Bauscher, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Very welcome. Glad to be here. Well, my pleasure to speak with you again, and of course, as the year goes on and the seasons change, the concerns and the needs for our pets and our animals change, and so really fortunate to have you and to be able to speak with you again to, to talk about what we should be doing for our pets as we move into winter. Right, yeah, so um, we're already starting to see some of those temperatures dropping, and while we haven't really seen any winter-related problems, it's a good time to talk about that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, we're going to be, let's see, this will be airing in mid-November, so we could start to see some of those really cold temperatures coming in, but certainly within the next month, a month and a half, we should be expecting that, I would assume. I would think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no stopping it. It's happening. So let's talk about our pets for a moment. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you when we talk about our pets is just to clear up a misconception that they're animals, they've got fur, and thus they're fine outside. No big deal, no matter what the temperature is. And that's not true, is it? Absolutely not. No, I think that at some point in time, when we're uncomfortable outside, they are too, for sure. Now, they can be more resistant. Certain breeds are more resistant than others. Like if we take dogs, for instance, those that have a what we would refer to as a double coat or a thick undercoat may be more resistant to the effects of temperature. But but sure, everything, every living organism is going to eventually be affected by dropping temperatures. So our pets are no different. Absolutely. True statement. Well, yeah, absolutely. So if you've got a husky, then I would assume that the uh, cold temperatures are probably not nearly as significant for your dog as if you have a, a short-haired chihuahua or something like that? A lot of factors, a lot of factors. I mean, in general, the, the smaller dogs, because of the, the ratio of their surface area and the amount of skin they have as compared to the mass of the dog makes a big difference. So our, mm-hmm. our small dogs, our chihuahuas and those types of animals, they have a lot of trouble maintaining body heat. The larger dogs seem to do much better. Mm-hmm. Certainly the type of hair coat, the thickness of the hair coat, which that brings out another point, and that is an animal's ability to resist cold temperatures has a lot to do with their acclimation. A dog or a cat that maybe lives outside almost all the time, their coat is already starting to make that change into um, you know, a thicker 
mm-hmm. uh, more insulation proof coat. And so those animals are going to be able to tolerate the colder weather when it comes much better than the dog that lives inside most of the time and then gets taken out occasionally to go to the bathroom or whatever. That animal is not going to do as well when the temperature gets cold. So if there was some unexpected sudden change for that pet, where all of a sudden they became an outside pet during really cold temperatures, they're not nearly as prepared to deal with it. That's right. The coat isn't going to be as prepared. I mean, and, and that's assuming that this would be an animal that even has the type of coat that would respond to cold temperature. I mean, some of our really, really short-coated breeds, they're just not going to develop a thick winter coat. Mm-hmm. So those animals need to be protected as well. But, um, you know, hair color, hair coat thickness, the amount of body fat that they have, again, as we mentioned, the their just physical size, their acclimation, and all of these things, they're all factors that are going to determine whether or not an animal is more or less cold resistant. Some of those are under our control and some of them not. Right. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned hair color. How does that factor in? You know, just like, it, for instance, if, if we're outside and it's, let's say, sunny, but it's cold, and if we're wearing darker clothing, that clothing is going to absorb that heat as opposed to reflecting it. Now, it's a complicated subject that we could go into with a lot of depth, but in other words, a darker coated dog may be absorbed more solar energy than a, a lighter coated dog. Now, when we get into some of the breeds like the, the Huskies and so on, that's kind of a different issue. That has to do more with the amount of air that's trapped in the coat, and that is an insulating value. So all of these things are factors as mm-hmm. to how cold resistant they are. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about you know, at what temperatures we start to get concerned. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply. Another cold winter will make keeping water from freezing a tough task. Don't leave your livestock iced out. Pick up a Farm Innovator Stock Tank De-Icer from D&B Supply. Farm Innovator Stock Tank De-Icers are designed to keep your animal's water from freezing and only come on when they need to. Find the right one for your tank with a variety of types and sizes in stock at D&B Supply. Break winter's icy grip with Stock Tank De-Icers from Farm Innovators. Available at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Dr. Well. Let's talk about temperature. So the temperatures are dropping, but you know we're not to the point yet where we're seeing the really severe cold temperatures like we saw last winter. So at what is there is there a temperature out there where you should go? Okay, that's the threshold. Now I need to start taking some steps because it's too cold for my animal to fend for themselves. You know, I'm not aware of anybody any studies that have actually been done to come up with an, an absolute temperature because there are so many variables, but I would start to become concerned when the temperature drops below 40 degrees. And of course, part of it has to do with the wind. While animals don't, dogs and cats don't sweat very much, I mean, that evaporation type of cooling isn't an issue, but the wind does affect them. It tends to push that heat that made her, that hair that's trapped in the hair coat. So they do experience an effect by wind chill. So the outside temperature might be 40 degrees, but if you have a 10, 15 mile an hour wind, then, then obviously it's going to make that animal feel colder. And Got so okay. that's a factor. So getting animals protected from the wind is, is just as important as it is for us. 
but I would say, yeah, 40 degrees would be a time to start to think about, well, maybe I shouldn't have the dog, especially if they're older or, or a small, very small dog like we talked about before. Um, maybe that's time to bring them into some sort of a shelter. Now, when it comes to the wind and the way the wind can impact them and take that heat away from them, what can we do for a dog that's staying outside to protect them from that? Is is just a simple wind shelter something so they can get behind it and be protected from that wind? Will that be sufficient? Yeah, so some good guidelines for shelter is that it has to yeah, protect them from the wind, be something that they feel comfortable getting into and out of. And like I, I know that some dogs, for instance, if you put a door on this on the shelter, the dog's not going to use it because they don't want to feel like they're trapped inside of something. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that can be mitigated by having an offset door, an open door, but maybe a, a little partition between where they're actually sleeping in the door. It doesn't have to be really fancy. Some people just will stack straw bales, which has great insulation properties and it would be a cheap structure as long as it had you know, something covering it to keep the water out of it. And the other thing to remember is is, is it needs to be fairly small. So their body heat, is, and unless somebody's using some sort of external heat, their body heat is what, what's going to heat that space up. And so if you have a, a great big, you know, beautiful dog house for a little tiny dog, that little dog's body heat is never going to warm that airspace up. So it should be uh, insulated well enough, but also small enough that their body heat has a chance to heat it up. And now we've got a wide array of listeners. Uh, so, for example, myself, we live on a farm in Cuna, so we have outside dogs and uh, farm dogs, and, and we have livestock. And so we deal with cold temperatures different than somebody who lives in the city, and their dog only goes outside part of the time to go on a walk or something like that. So we've kind of got a wide array. For our listeners who are in my situation, who they live out on a a larger piece of property and they've got outdoor animals, how does the amount of food that you're giving to your dogs and even to your cats impact their ability to stay warm during the day? Oh, it's huge. Nutrition has a huge part of it. They're going to be burning a lot more calories. So it's not just a calorie thing, but increased protein levels and everything is important. So absolutely uh, any animal that lives outside more is going to have more caloric requirements. How much more? Now, we we can see the opposite thing happen. I mean, we're talking about dogs and cats that, or any animal that's that's primarily living outside. We can see the opposite happen sometimes in the wintertime where dogs and cats are maybe not as active if they're living indoors. And then we see these dogs come in the clinic, let's say, in the spring after a long winter and they picked up you know, three or four extra pounds that they don't need. So mm-hmm. it can work both ways, but you're absolutely right. For the animals that live outside, you absolutely have to increase their caloric intake. And for some dogs, that may mean switching to, you know, like a more caloric, dense diet. These are maybe our performance diets. Mm-hmm. And especially, we see this a lot in the hunting dogs. So these dogs are out there hunting in the fall and in winter months, especially the duck and goose hunters. And and those dogs are burning a a lot of calories out there hunting. So in order to keep those dogs in good physical condition, sometimes it's a good idea to switch to a performance diet because they're getting more calories per mouthful. So they don't have to eat quite as much volume of food. They're still getting more calories. And do you, to make sure you're not overfeeding them, is that just a matter of watching their body condition? That's exactly right. It's very simple. And people, people are always asking me, well, how much should my dog weigh? And I don't really pay as much attention to the weight. I do just their body condition. So an easy rule of thumb is, is I, you should be able to stand over your dog and run your hand down their chest 
seal each rib. I, I don't, you know, in a short-coated dog, I wouldn't want ribs sticking out necessarily, mm-hmm. but but I should be able to feel them with a flat hand, not poking fingers in there, but with a flat hand. And that's a body condition that's been sh- a score of, of four on a scale from one to nine. And that's been considered to be optimal, not only for longevity and, and dogs that are kept at that lean body mass live longer than dogs that are overweight. It also has a lot to do with the morbidity or, or the accumulation of different types of diseases or just not feeling well, basically. So um, we always recommend trying to keep those dogs at that body condition. Now, if they're going to be outside in the winter, it's it's perfectly okay for them to, to put on a little extra body fat as long as that body fat disappears in the spring. So it, that'll kind of vary depending on the level of activity you have with your dog or your dog has once the temperatures warm up. Yeah, that's right. All right, well, let's take another commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk about water. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B. Be supply. Out west, our tough winters aren't for the light of heart or the light of foot. Reboot your winter boots and bound confidently into the cold with a pair of Sorel boots from D&B Supply. Sorel boots were born in Canada to tackle the toughest winters with hefty construction, premium leather, and superior wool for maximum warmth. Anyone who owns a pair can tell you that they'll turn even the nastiest blizzard into a breeze for your feet. Kick the cold with Sorel boots. Available now at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Dr. Boucher. Well, let me ask you about water consumption. So I guess there might be a misperception that when the temperatures get cold, the your pets, your dogs, your cats, whatever other pets you're keeping outside don't need as much water as they did during the summer. But is that really true? It's not true, and especially if we consider how dehydrated you can get in extreme cold temperatures. The amount of moisture in the air is very low because you're in temperatures that are below freezing, they can actually lose. Well, all you have to do is look at your own breath outside on a, on a cold winter day, and you can see how much vapor is coming out of our bodies when we breathe, and that has to be replaced. So you know, we see problems with dehydration in the winter, not only because people sort of underestimate how much water needs to be consumed, but we also see problems because of, of maybe the water dish is frozen over. So people will, will think, well, I just put water out, but they have failed to prevent it from freezing. Well, then obviously that water is not really available to the pet. Or the pet may be a lot less likely to go and drink a normal amount of water because they don't like the cold temperature. So the little uh, heaters that can be placed into bowls and, you know, obviously uh, safely uh, insulated and all of that, but those can be a great idea. Now, is there an optimal temperature to keep the water at so your your pets will drink enough? You know, I, I don't know of a number. Um, I would say that may be dependent upon the pet you're talking about uh, and just their preference. So, I mean, if they're like we are, I mean, if, if they drink cold water, that's going to lower their core body temperature. So mm-hmm. we get back to wanting to maintain the body heat. If there's a way to keep that water warm enough so that it's not really affecting their core body temperature, that would be fantastic. But at the very least, it should be not frozen. 
So I guess the the first thing we need to worry about is at least that it's available, uh, even if it's colder than the the animal might like. At least it's available and not a solid chunk of ice. That's right, and and there is even some uh, I have seen on. It's fairly rare, but I have seen tongue injuries where dogs or tongues are coming into contact with cold metal, just and it affects them just like it would us. So I mean that that would be obviously we're not worried about at that point. The water would be frozen or not because it certainly would be, but. Yeah, I'd say if you're maintaining uh, the water temperature so that it's not freezing, you wouldn't have that problem. But just something else to think about. Now, you had talked about the coats and the different types of coats that dogs have, you know, like the huskies with trapping the air for insulation and long-haired dogs versus short-haired dogs. Does grooming your animal, your pet, especially dogs, does it become more important during very cold temperatures? Yeah, matted hair is not going to insulate as well as well-groomed hair, for sure. I mean, obviously, we don't want people to be shaving their dogs and excessively pulling out the undercoat. There are devices, uh, I can't think of the name right now, of the comb, but but it's designed to remove a lot of the undercoat, um, especially in double-coated dogs, uh, which is really important in the spring when they're trying to blow that coat out. But uh-huh. I, would, I would say you could certainly overdo it, but in general, having that hair coat maintained without mats and tangles and so on is going to increase its its insulative properties. So when you talk about a double-coated dog, can you give us an example of a breed that's a double-coated dog? Uh, your Huskies, a Chow, for instance. These dogs that you can see the long guard hairs or the rather the longest hair, but underneath that you can see this sort of fuzzy, more downy type of coat. That's what I'm referring to as a, as a double-coated breed. All right. I was asking, we have a golden retriever, and she gets matted hair all the time, and she's got long hair, but that doesn't necessarily mean she's double-coated. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as they, it, what I'm just talking about basically is, is any dog that has a good thick undercoat. But, but some dogs just don't produce an undercoat like that. So so those dogs would certainly not be what we would consider double-coated, but it may not be the best term to use, but any dog that has a thick undercoat is what I'm talking about. Sure. Be, you know, best protected from the cold. Well, now here I'm thinking about horses and with, with horses in certain circumstances and scenarios, you know, we'll put horse blankets on them to keep them dry uh, or in other cases to keep them from growing too long of a hair coat, that type of thing. When it comes to our pets, there's obviously clothing out there designed to keep pets warm, especially short haired pets. Is that something you recommend? I think it makes a lot of sense, especially for our pets that are living inside most of the time and then have to go outside for whatever reason, maybe just for a walk. I mean, those, again, those animals may not have had the opportunity to acclimate as well as a dog that's constantly outside or mostly outside. So we're talking about dogs most, I mean, I can always include cats in this argument, although it's very unusual to see a cat with a jacket on that (laughs) the cats typically don't tolerate them at all. But but dogs, they can be made, or they can. You can go through a process of getting them used to it. Some will accept the jacket very easily, but I think it makes a lot of sense again for for the animals that are not well acclimated, or if it's for some reason you have to be outside and it's just a, a severe cold snap. The other thing that some people are probably less likely to use because it can be problematic or rejected by the dog it would be the, the boots. Uh huh. But. I think it does make sense, especially if you're in an area where they use a lot of salt on roads and so on. That can cause some problems with not only the, the foot pads or the, the skin of the foot, but also the, a lot of those animals will lick their feet after they come in, and then that can cause some gastrointestinal problems. 
So the boots can make a lot of, of sense. And, and usually you can train a dog to accept the boots. We recommend people start off with like infant socks. And then, you know, that's got to be supervised, of course, because the next thing that's going to happen is we'll have to have your dog in for surgery to remove a sock from their stomach. But, <laughs> but as long as it's supervised, you know, you can get them used to having something on their feet. And then later, the boots do help. And every year we'll see a dog come in that's got really, really sore feet. And the reason is, is that they may be a, a dog that has a lot of hair between the toes and then that hair gets ice in mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. and that can cause injury to the foot. So keeping that hair trimmed is, is helpful. But, but back to your original question, I, I do think that the jackets are, are a good idea. And, and again, we talked about windshield a little bit, and that would be a good example of where, you know, let's say the temperature is only 30 degrees out, but if you have a good strong wind, the jacket could be helpful. Okay. Increase that insulation. So, well, let's take another commercial break. I want to ask you some more about snow melt and those type of things when we come back. All right. Okay. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hardworking and hard-playing people in the West and everywhere else, for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. Even if your trusty steed is turning old and gray, she's still got a lot of life left in her. So take care of her changing nutritional needs with the right food, like Cargill Neutrina Safe Choice Senior from D&B Supply. Safe Choice Senior is a high-fat, low-starch blend with organic minerals and pre- and probiotics that increase fiber digestion, maintain energy, and improve skin, hair, and hoof quality. Feed your trusty steed what she needs with Cargill Neutrina Safe Choice Senior. Available now at your favorite D&B Supply. Okay, doctor. So you brought up in the last segment snow melt and the things that get put out. So they can lick that off of their paws and that can cause stomach problems for them. Uh, Now, can the type of chemicals and materials that get used for snow melt, can that cause damage to the paws and the pads on their feet specifically? Yes, it can. And there are products that are specifically designed to be pet safe. I'm not entirely convinced that they're, you know, that, that it's still a good idea not to wash your pet's paws off if they've been walking through something like that, but they're certainly much better than some of the other products that are more caustic. You know, some of these products are kind of hard on concrete, hard on the yard, and if they're hard on those, they're, they're probably hard on the skin. Mm-hmm. And we do see chemical burns, especially between the toe pads where some of this stuff gets stuck in there and has direct contact with the skin. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely a concern. So, I mean, the simple solution is it's just to wash your dog or cat's feet off if they've walked through that and try to prevent them from licking their feet if, if that's at all possible. But just be aware of the fact that when you're walking on those sidewalks, and it, it could have been something that was placed down there, you know, half an hour ago, and now it's just a solution. So uh-huh. there's not obvious you know, salt on there, but there would be a high concentration in the, the moisture that's on the ground and, and that would need mm-hmm. to be washed off. And so if you're putting down snow melt around your own property, there's actually pet safe or relatively pet safe options that you can purchase if you're a pet owner. Yeah. And it seems to be 
products that are also quite a little bit. Now, whether or not they're as effective as some of the others as far as getting rid of snow and ice, I right. don't know. But they seem to be also a lot uh, less toxic or damaging to things like concrete and the uh, vegetation around the sidewalk anyway. So probably a good idea, although I expect they're probably more expensive, but probably worth the investment. Now, along the same lines of chemicals that could be dangerous to your animals, a lot of people are dealing with coolant and antifreeze in their vehicles this time of year, and they're making sure that they've got enough or they're adding or they're draining, and some of that stuff gets spilled. Uh, how can that impact your pets? It's one of the most common intoxications that we deal with and one of the most serious as well, specifically ethylene glycol, which is a component of a lot of the automobile antifreeze is the one that's the most deadly. There are, again, pet-safe antifreeze products. That doesn't mean that it was would be a good idea for your pet to drink it or, you know, because I have seen problems even with some of the pet-safe ones for different reasons, but they're much, much safer. These are the type of products that usually contain something called propylene glycol, which is what a lot of people winterize their RVs and so on. Mm-hmm. And, um, but could be consumed in, in small amounts and not have nearly the negative effects that ethylene glycol. One thing about the ethylene glycol is sometimes people will see their pets drink this. And I should, as a side note, say that it's, it's not just the changing of the antifreeze in your vehicle that is the source. And one of the most common sources I see is people will, let's say they have a, an outbuilding that they don't use in the wintertime, but maybe has some plumbing in it, a toilet or something like that. A lot of times people will take antifreeze, maybe that they've already taken out of their vehicle, and they'll use that and pour it into the toilet, just as an example. Mm -hmm. And I've seen several dogs intoxicated by that, where they'll somehow get into that dwelling, and then they'll go and drink out of the toilet like dogs do, and that's where they get exposed. So it's not just changing, you know, or what you would find in the gutter or on the concrete after the car. But back to ethylene glycol, one of the terrible things about this stuff is, is that if your dog or cat drinks enough of it, initially you may see them acting drunk, basically staggering around looking like you would expect a dog would look if they were drunk. Mm -hmm. And then they can kind of recover from that. And oftentimes I hear in histories, people say, well, we thought that maybe he didn't get enough because he seemed to get better. But that's a terrible mistake because what will happen next is that that toxin in the antifreeze gets converted into crystals that actually um, will, let's say, use the word plug up the kidneys or damage the kidneys. And that is irreversible damage. Mm -hmm. So these animals sometimes will recover and then days later will start to show symptoms of kidney failure and at that point there's really very little that your veterinarian can do uh, the damage is already done so the treatment for or the detoxification treatment for ethylene glycol has to be done in that acute phase literally really within minutes to, to no more than hours after the initial exposure to the toxin so it needs to be done right away. And I've heard before that antifreeze tastes very good to pets. Is that true? It is. Yeah, it has kind of a uh, sweet taste. So, yeah, they'll, they'll readily drink it for sure. Well, we definitely want to avoid that if at all possible, but get them treatment right away if you see any signs that look like intoxication. Right. And there are some good products now that really can save their, their lives and, and don't have some of the side effects that we used to deal with. But 
But yeah, early treatment is absolutely the key. Okay. Let's take our last commercial break. And when we come back, I got a couple more questions for you about just kind of overall safety for animals in the, in the winter months. Okay. When you think about pet food, what comes to mind isn't normally something deserving of your best friend. But at D&B, you'll find a line of pet food that's so real, you can serve it on a plate. Earthborn Holistic Pet Food. Earthborn Holistics cater to your pet's primal needs, blending a variety of nature's finest proteins with other whole food ingredients for a kibble they'll love to nibble and will keep them healthy and happy, too. Earthborn Holistic Dog and Cat Food, available at your favorite D&B supply. Bogged down in a muddy, messy fall? Keep your feet protected and dry with a new pair of Boggs waterproof boots from D&B Supply. Boggs boots are made for mucking around. Now made with seamless construction, Boggs are lighter weight and more durable than ever before. With a variety of insulated and non-insulated styles to choose from, you'll find the right boot for any weather, every job, and everyone in your family. Keep your feet warm and dry this fall with Boggs boots. Available now at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, doctor. So along the same lines, we're talking about vehicles and antifreeze and things like that. I wanted to ask you, and this time specifically about cats, and I've had this happen to me once where I actually started a vehicle, started down the driveway, and there was a cat that jumped out of my engine block. So that's pretty common, I understand. It's very common, and it's it's oftentimes pretty horrific injuries that they get. And you can imagine that the you know all of the things flying around in a car engine belts and fans and things like that can do a lot of damage to a cat very quickly and obviously cats being heat seekers you know they they see that engine block as a a great way to to warm up quickly and so yeah it's something to definitely think about if you have outdoor kitties and you're parking your car outside you know just give the horn a couple of honks and things like that that'll usually give them enough time to get out of the way before you start the engine yeah that makes a lot of sense and and then, of course, during the summer, we're all cognizant about dogs and cats inside the car. We don't want to leave them in there, and we know what those temperatures inside the cab of a vehicle can reach during the summer. Now, let's flip the script and go to the winter when it's really cold out. If we go, well, it's winter, no big deal. We can just leave the dog in the car. Is that true, or can that create problems, too? Well, I would have to say, yes, I could make up. A- a scenario where they're not moving around as much, maybe they're more prone to hypothermia that way. I would say that that's probably fairly rare. I haven't seen that happen. But yeah, I, I would say that that's reasonable. I mean, they if they can't get up and move around, they're going to get colder just like you and I. Well, and I would say, especially when it comes to our dogs, one of the, the big downfalls is that, of course, uh, they age so much faster than us. So we all you know, have dogs in our lives at some point and we've got to say goodbye to them. But as we have an aging dog and a dog that's getting older, what special things do we need to do for them when it gets cold? These guys have the same aches and pain problems as they get older as we do. And I really like the dog, the orthopedic beds, they're called. It's pretty simple. If it feels good, if you lay down on it, it feels good to them too. And these guys suffer from arthritis and and so on, just like we do, and certainly appreciate those softer surfaces. And it also helps with the inflation because they they lose a lot of heat from laying down on the cold floor. And um, that's going to suck the heat out of them pretty fast. A nice insulated bed really goes a long ways. You know, you always have to, to be a little concerned with bedding and that type of thing with dogs that that tend to chew stuff up. And I've seen and I have removed bedding material out of dogs' stomachs on several occasions. And so 
I mean, that has to, you have to use a little common sense on that as well. Um, some of these dog beds have a more durable surface than others, but if you have a dog that's prone to chewing stuff up, you know, that's something to be concerned about. Now, along those same lines, and, and we did this very thing with our dog, is we upgraded to a much tougher dog bed because she would chew on the dog bed. So is uh, is the tougher material a problem once she gets it chewed, or is that the preferable bed because it's harder for her to chew and ingest it? Yeah, I, I think it would be preferable because it's harder for her to chew. I mean, I, but there is no dog bed, I, I think, that's chew-proof. So sure. some of those power chewers out there is going to get into that. <laughs> that stuffing in, in between and that stuff can be like, you know, it's absorbent and so on. So it gets into the stomach and it just soaks up all that fluid in the stomach and just forms an obstruction. So yeah, yeah, it'd be concerned about that. Now we also occasionally see people buy these beds with wood chips in them, uh-huh. which a lot of times it's cedar or pine, something that smells nice allegedly helps control fleas, although it really doesn't, but it does smell nice. And some dogs can be, their skin can be sensitive to those wood resins. And I've seen some dogs with some pretty nasty skin eruptions when people go and buy those, those new beds full of wood chips or or they fill whatever bed they have already with wood chips. And one other thing that I've heard, and I wanted to confirm with you whether or not it's true, is that when we get snow on the ground, that dogs will have a more difficult time smelling, smelling their own trail, smelling their way around on snow. And in here in the west, eastern Oregon and southwestern Idaho, we have so many active people that like to get out in the winter with their dogs on trails, on the snow. Is that a concern if your dog gets out of your sight that they won't be able to kind of smell their way back to you? I think it is. I think it is. Now, um, I'm sure there's been some documentation on this, you know, probably specifically was done for police tracking or, or some sort of search and rescue dogs. And, mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't recite that information exactly, but I do know that dogs do get tend to get lost more easily in the winter. If you go take them out into the, the foothills or something like that, they have a harder time finding their way back using their sense of smell. And because of the colder temperatures, things aren't going to become as volatile. Those odors aren't going to become as volatile, but also a lot of times when dogs are tracking things, they're also looking, smelling for things like crushed vegetation and so on and, and using that as a as an indicator of which direction to go. Of course, that wouldn't be present if it's snow covered as, as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would think that I, I'm sure that is absolutely a, a factor. Well, Dr. Bauscher, as always, you're a wealth of information. Really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for coming on and taking the time to share this with us today. You're very welcome. Enjoyed it. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>